1 Timothy 6, 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12. And we'll review a little bit for those of you that were, uh, have not been with us and also for those of you who have been with us. I like to review. I don't know about you. I like to go back over things, see how well I retained it. Do you? I guess a lot of people may not. I don't know. But uh, I like to go over things. I like basics. I guess maybe some people don't, but I like basics. Because your basics are your foundation. Amen. The stronger your foundation, the higher you can build. Is that right? See, a lot of people just want to get to the building part, so they just, you know, they dig about two inches down, slap them a foundation in there, take off, start building up. They want to see how quick and how high they can get. But the thing is, you can only go as high and far as your foundation permits. Is that right? Have you ever seen them build these big skyscrapers? Man, sometimes they'll dig down, dig down, dig down. They'll work in the ground for months. And you'll wonder, I thought they were going to build a building out here. How long, ago, how long did they, ago did they start this? Well, six months ago. And there's nothing on top of the ground yet? No, no. What does that tell you? It's going to be a tall building. Is that right? Is that right? Because if they keep going down, 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 pouring that concrete, laying that steel, then when they get started up, they're going to keep going up and up and up. And when they get to 30 floor stories, they're going to keep going up. You understand? And so if you want to go up and go far, you've got to dig deep. Is that right? That's a message right there, isn't it? You want to go high, dig deep. Amen. Come on, preachers. Some of y'all looking at me, you know, like, you know that to preach. You know that to preach. You want to go high, dig uh, deeper. Uh, I think I must, I must need to preach to y'all a little bit today. Y'all need a little stirring up. All right. Have you found the scripture? 1 Timothy 6, 12. First words, fight. F-I-G-H-T. Fight the good fight of faith. Everybody say that out loud with me at least two or three or four, five times. Let's say it together. Think about it. Fight the good fight of faith. Think about it. Fight the good fight of faith. What did he tell us to do? Fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Tell me what you're going to do. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, do you understand this is not a suggestion? He told us to do it, right? Now, the Lord's good and just. He wouldn't tell us to do something we couldn't do. And, of course, he knows we're going to need his grace and help to do it, but he's already committed to us to, to help us and give us that. But in order for us to be victorious, in order for us to be successful, in order for us to receive, in order for us to overcome attacks, we must have a heart to fight. We must have a fighting spirit. Amen. For those of you who weren't with us, I read on Monday, an extensive uh, report by professional researchers 
scientists and doctors and professionals. And the title of it was A Fighting Spirit. And now they didn't say anything about the Bible, they didn't say anything about God, they didn't say anything about faith, but they were talking about how in their own studies and research that a person who's been attacked, particularly with some life-threatening situation like uh, cancer or AIDS or uh, tumors or serious heart problems or blood disease or whatever, uh, they were saying how that they had studied people and how that oftentimes people will have very similar uh, situations organically and, and, and physically, but yet one of them uh, die and one of them overcome and live, and yet it was very similar situations physically. And what was the difference? And, and they said they could tell there was a difference, and one of them was a fighter, and the other one just gave up and quit. And they went into great detail about, you know, the connection that they could see there. And uh, I've seen it with people that come, people uh, that would fight, that would believe God, that would stand the ground, they live. They overcome. But I've seen other people come and they just wanted us to do it. I wanted their pastor to do it. I wanted mama to do it or somebody. But they just kind of wanted to rock along and say, well, we'll just see whatever happens, happens. A passive attitude. But no, the Bible didn't say just be passive. What did the Bible say? Fight. Fight. Is that right? Some of you are getting it. I, I, I can tell that you. Didn't take you didn't take you two seconds to tell me what you had to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We cannot be passive when it comes to resisting the work of the enemy. We read in the scriptures in 1 Peter 5, 9, you don't have to turn there, I'm just reviewing, James 4, 7, where he said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. He said, you have an adversary, the devil, and like a roaring lion, he's going about seeking whom he may devour. He said, but resist him steadfast in the faith. Now, see, the Bible tells us to resist these things. We read yesterday in Ephesians where he talked about taking the whole armor of God on and be strong and withstand the wiles of the enemy. Having done all to stand, stand. He uses the word stand, withstand, stand, withstand. This is not just, just, you know, letting things happen. See, have you ever heard people talk, and oh, it sounds religious, and it sounds like, well, you know, they're just humbling themselves to the will of God, but there are a lot of people who, who have this false uh, doctrine and theology about, well, you know, just whatever the Lord wants, I'm just leaving it up to Him, and, and they just assume that everything that happens is from God and of God, and all decisions are up to God, and nothing's up to me. It's what I call no-fault religion. See, no matter what happens, it's not my fault, and I'm not responsible for anything. It's all up to the Lord. Well, you fighting the good fight of faith is not all up to the Lord. That's something he's told us to do. And if we're leaving up to him what he left up to us, we're going to be in trouble. We've got to do our part. If we do our part, he'll certainly do his part. Amen. He's faithful. But we've got to do our part, and, and, and we're told here, among the things that we need to do, we need to fight the good fight of faith. Notice this next phrase said, Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto you are also called. Well, see, that still sounds like uh, being aggressive instead of passive, doesn't it? Lay hold. Uh, another way of saying that is grab it. Is that right? Take it. How many know Mark eleven twenty four? 
what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. You know that word receive, if you look it up, the Greek word literally means take. Take. In other words, believe that you take it and you shall have it. That's another way of saying lay hold of it. Do you know why that the first generation of Israelites that were delivered out of Egyptian bondage died in the wilderness instead of going into the promised land? Anybody know why? Was it the will of God for them to die in the wilderness? No. Hebrews 4 says that the, the Canaan's land and that provision was provided for them before the foundation of the world. God had planned for them to go in and live there, but they didn't. All of them died in the wilderness except for Caleb and Joshua. Why didn't they enjoy the promised land? Could you say they didn't enjoy it because God hadn't given it to them? No, he gave it to them. Could you say that, that they didn't enjoy it because it wasn't God's will? No, no, no. Why didn't they enjoy it? The Bible said they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. What would faith have done? Well, faith would have done what that sec second generation with Joshua did do. What did faith do? Faith went in and took the land. Is that right? He told them every place the sole of your foot shall tread upon shall be yours. You got to get it. Now, th now this, is an, this w w brings up a very interesting point that a lot of times I think people in mainline uh, denominational circles don't realize. What God provides by His grace must be possessed by one's faith. You see, just because God gives you something is no, no sign you're going to enjoy it. Not too many amens on that. I said, just because God gives you something, that does not mean that you're automatically going to enjoy it. Did he give them the land of Canaan, the promised land that flowed with milk and honey? That first generation of Israelites. Did he give it to them? You can read in Deuteronomy. He told them, he said, I have given you the land, now go up and possess it. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see it in several different places. He said, I have given it to you. Not going to, I have given it to you. See, while these other people, these Canaanites are still living on the land, God says, don't worry about it, it's yours. How many of God says it's yours? I don't care who's living on it, it's yours. Is that right? And if God says healing is yours, I don't care what your test results look like, healing is yours. But you see, just because he's given it to you, doesn't mean you're going to enjoy it. So that's what a lot of people don't understand. You, you know, I, I've seen people that didn't uh, have a comprehension of this. You tell them, well, praise God, you know, the Bible said, by his stripes, you were healed. Healing is ours. And people look at you and say, well, if I'm healed, why do I feel like this? And some people, sometimes people think, well, that's a good question. Well, not really, if you understand. He didn't say that because he had provided it, you automatically enjoy it. It, it is given to you. It's yours. But the enemy will camp on it. You hear me? He'll set up camp on your healing. And he'll say, you can't have it. And the thing is, a lot of Christians, bless their wimpy hearts, they just say, really? 
And he says, yeah, you can't have it. Healing's not for today, and it's not for you, and it's all passed away. And they just sit down and cry, well, the will of the Lord be done. And the devil says, yeah, that's right, the will of the Lord be done. Did you hear me? And they're not, that they don't possess, they don't uh, uh, appropriate what God has given and what God has provided. What God has provided by His grace, by the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus, must be possessed by our faith. Now, that's the way God set it up. Whether you like it or not, that's the way it is. You remember the Bible said in the New Testament, those things that happened to the Israelites, they happened as examples or types for us. God's given us some things, hasn't he? Absolutely, he has. But they must be possessed. Everything. Do you understand? Everything has to be possessed by faith. The new birth, does it just fall on you? You've got to possess it by faith. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, does it just fall on you? No, it's a usual thing you're going to have to receive. Is that right? Got to possess. Healing. Prosperity. Oh, there's a lot of people who would like to be prosperous if it just fell on them. Now, some of you may not realize this, but see, prosperity doesn't just fall on you. You've got to take an aggressive attitude about it. And I don't mean taking something away from somebody else. I mean just by faith. Taking what you being aggressive in your confession, being aggressive in your expectancy, being now listen to this, being aggressive in your giving. Uh oh. And don't worry, I'm not I'm not going to pass the plate today. Don't don't get upset. How many know what it means to be aggressive in your giving? Hmm. Now, I, I've learned a secret. I've learned a secret. You want me to share it with you? I've learned a secret. The devil messes with me and my money. He messes with me. Tries to hold up my finances. I reach down deep. And I go, devil, you mess with me. Watch this. I get out the checkbook and I sharpen the pencil real sharp. Put an extra zero on it. You understand? Mess for me, devil. How many know you can't outgive God? As long as you sow in faith. Now, see, that's a key. As long as you sow. How can you tell if I'm sowing in faith? Here's a great key. If you give and enjoy. I said, if you give and enjoy. That's an indicator you're giving in faith. What the Lord say? He loves a cheerful. Cheerful. Not tearful. Cheerful. Giver. Right? Amen. Aggressive. Aggressive. Now, I'm not talking about being aggressive with your fellow man, your fellow Christian. See, a lot of people get all mixed up on this, you see. And they're, they're just downright rude and obnoxious. And they justify it in the name of being bold. That's not being bold. It's just being carnal and fleshy. But when it comes to the enemy messing with you, you've got to get aggressive. You understand? You, and when it comes to the blessings of God, you've got to realize that even though they're bought, they're paid for, they're given to you, the enemy will try to keep you from enjoying them. He'll do everything he can to work against you, to keep you from it. And if you can be easily dissuaded, easily deterred, easily discouraged, 
then you will be. He'll see to it that enough happens, enough comes your way, till you get discouraged and quit and give up and say, well, I guess maybe it's not for me. And he'll say, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's not for you, I'm sorry. But he is a liar. We established that yesterday, didn't we? You already knew it, but you know it better now. He, he's a liar. Everybody say the devil's a liar. The devil's a liar. Liar. Liar, liar. He'll burn in the fire. Right? That's right. He will. Forget pants on fire. He will burn in the fire. He's a liar. Is that right? Now, we, we talked about the fact that there is a conflict. There is a struggle. We're, I mean, if you've read the New Testament at all, I think you're aware of that. But we went into some detail beginning yesterday talking about exactly how this struggle, this fight, is to be fought. How this war is to be waged. Because the Bible warns us in 2 Corinthians 10 that we don't do it after the flesh. It's a spiritual thing. And a lot of people, I believe, have gotten off track and they've gotten into trying to do things in the flesh. Paul said, uh, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. We said you can fight in such a way that you're just beating the air. You, your, your efforts are not effective. Your punches are not finding their mark. Well, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's no good. You'd be better off conserving your strength for all the good you're accomplishing. Do you understand it's possible, uh, and a lot of people have, what they call fighting. They've been ranting and raging. They've been sweating. They've been screaming. But for all it's accomplishing, they might as well be sitting down resting. A lot of what people call spiritual warfare is just beating the air. But there are things, the Bible says we have weapons. They're not carnal. They're not natural things at all. They're spiritual things, and they're mighty. Amen. Through God. Pulling down a stronghold, casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And we saw that in Ephesians 6 that the first uh, part of our armor that he said put on was truth. And we saw that the enemy fires at us uh, fiery darts. And we said all this is symbolic. But what is it, what is it symbolic of? Our, uh, uh, did you notice all the, all the pieces of armor are offensive, excuse me, defensive, except for the sword? You see, in which the sword could be used either defensively or offensively. But, you know, for the more part, you don't take a, a breastplate and just run into somebody with it. And hit them in the, you understand what I said? You don't just take a helmet and just, you know, hit somebody with your head. Primarily, that's to protect you against incoming debris or blows, or, right? And, uh, and so... Again, we see that uh, again and again in that passage he says, stand, and he uses the word withstand. And what did he say that we're to stand withstand? You might not remember. Go there in Ephesians. Yeah, I, I hear some things that are, that are good and right and connected, but uh, I want you to make sure you see this. If we're all dressed up in our armor, we're ready to go. But what is it that what is it that we're supposed to be repelling or resisting with this armor? Exactly. Notice, sure, sure, it says fiery darts. But notice, 
In verse 11 of chapter 6, Ephesians 6, 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you see this? This, this is, how, how does the enemy attack us? How does he come against us? One of the main ways, and actually the thing that gives anything else he does, it's foundation, is he comes against us with trickery and with deception. The most powerful tool and weapon the enemy has is deception or lies. And the most powerful weapon we have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Jesus said, Thy Word is truth. The Spirit that's upon us and the Spirit that's within us is called the Spirit of truth. And the Bible said, You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. Well, if truth would make you free, wonder what lies do to you. Lies bind you. And so we had said yesterday that uh, truth will enlighten you and truth will liberate you, whereas lies will blind you and bind you. Just something that we, we need to realize how this warfare is being waged. It's, it's essentially a conflict of light versus darkness, a conflict of truth Versus lies. Did you understand that unless the enemy can get people to believe his lies, he can't rule in their life? He can't dominate them. He can't control them. He can't manifest and continue to manifest his works in their life and hold them in bondage. He can't. Because if they get a hold of the truth and know the truth, it will set them free. Free from what? Free from him. Free from his stuff. Is that right? People talk about uh, attacking the enemy. People talk about warring in the spirit. And oftentimes, just wind up, like we said, beating the air. You want me to tell you one of, the, one of, absolutely, one of the most, not the only way, but one of the most effective ways to attack the kingdom of darkness that there is. You want to know? Run out. And find somebody and tell them the truth. That's an assault on the kingdom of darkness. Now see, that's, that's not spectacular enough for a lot of people. Did you hear me? Well, so what about prayer? Well, definitely prayer is an element, but what should you be praying? How does it affect? What should you be praying? Let's say you're praying about people that are in bondage to the enemy. What should you pray? Sure, it's scriptural to come against and say we bind the, the, the darkness that is holding that person in bondage, but also you need to pray. Lord, send labors across that person's path and enlighten the eyes of their heart and their understanding. Help them to see the truth. Why? Because that's what's going to set them free. It's not just brother or sister, so-and-so is going to set them free. It's them getting a revelation of the truth. That's what's going to set them free. And so whether you prayed or whether you shared or whatever you did, when it's all said and done, if somebody got set free, what gets the glory? 
faithfulness of the Lord, the truth, which is the same thing as saying the Lord, because he himself said, I am the way, the truth. Is that right? He gets the glory. He's the Word. The Word is the truth. Right? What sets you free? The Word sets you free. The truth sets you free. The Lord sets you free. The Spirit sets you free. It's a Word of truth, the Spirit of truth. The Lord, He is truth. And what did, what did the Lord say in John 8? He said, the devil, in part of John 8, He said a lot of things, but in the latter part of it, He said, the devil is a liar. And he's the father of lies. Yes, he is. When he speaks a lie, uh, he speaks of his own. Yes, yes. One translation said he speaks his own language. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a liar. But he's not just a, he's not a, what we'd call a bad liar. Do you understand what I mean by that terminology? He's a proficient liar. He's a good liar. Now, I don't know if you know, in one sense of the word, there's no such thing as a good liar. Right? You're lying, that's bad. You're doing a bad thing. Lying is bad. But you, when I say good liar, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Somebody that's good at it. Yeah. And you never met anybody any better at lying than the devil. Right. Now, if somebody is a, quote, good liar, what, what makes them a good liar? They can tell you a lie in such a way that it sounds like the truth. And you'll accept it as the truth. If, you, if somebody tells you a lie and you accept it as truth, then you are deceived. That's what being deceived is. Accepting a lie as the truth. So you're in trouble when, you, when you're holding to a lie and you're believing it's true. But it's not. You're in trouble. Is that right? I mean, if you believe you should go west, when actually you should go east, but you're convinced it's true that I should go that direction, well, then you're going to go and go and go, and you won't turn around, and you a lot of times won't even check, because you're convinced this is the truth. But you'll always be going the wrong way. <laughs> the devil is very crafty, and we're to take these things, including the Word of God, so we can stand against his wiles, his trickery. He's very, very crafty, very tricky. I want us to look at another portion or two of Scripture here that will help you to see how crafty he is and how he operates. Go to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. How many have a strong desire not to be deceived? You don't want to be tricked. Do you have that in you real strong? Yeah. I don't mean just a little bit. I mean you really, really don't want to be hoodwinked. Amen. Don't want to be deluded. You don't want to be tricked. Amen. Have you ever been tricked before? Yeah. It's not a good feeling, is it? Especially when you find out. Yeah. Right? It's bad to believe a lie. But what's worse is to be believing a lie and not know it. Think you believe in the truth. Now... You know, I don't know what background you uh, came up, but did, did you know that uh, lies are taught out of uh, Sunday school books? Lies are taught from pulpits? Did you know that? Lies are printed in books 
that are authored by uh, Dr. So-and-so and Brother So-and-so and so, you understand? And lies are recorded on tapes. I know that may not make you shout, but we need to realize that not everything that comes out in a church setting or from behind a pulpit or in a book or in a tape is necessarily the truth. And sometimes it's not necessarily somebody trying to deceive us and lead us astray. They believe it's true. Not that they're trying to be malicious and just purposely lead us astray. They believe it. They're deceived. And that's why they can present it to you so convincingly because they believe it's true too. They've been deceived. And so that's why we have to examine what we believe in the light of the truth, the Word of God. That's why we need to examine what we believe uh, in the light of the witness of the Spirit of truth inside us. Because as we said yesterday, uh, we just don't know enough in our heads to examine everything and scrutinize everything with our wit and our intellect. We've got to depend on the written Word of God. We've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes things can look good to us, to our head. Sounds fine, looks good. But yet, if you pay attention to the Holy Spirit inside you, you'll have a check. Inside you, you'll think, mm, I don't know. Looks good, sounds good, but I don't know. Something not quite right here. Can't put your finger on it. Can't. Well, trust Him. Because He knows things you don't know. And even though some parts of it may be good, there may be a part that's not good. And He's trying to help you see what is bad there. You know, I know uh, years ago, uh, once in a while, a certain program would come on or I'd see certain material here or there. And, and, you know, it sounded okay to me, but sometimes after I'd watch it for a little bit and turn it off or something or read it a little bit and, uh, I don't know, something inside, I think, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something about that I don't like. And it's not something, it wasn't, didn't have anything to do with my emotions or my intellect, it was my heart. I was thinking, I don't know. And you know, after going to Bible school and, and learning and getting taught for years, and, and then you look back and say, well, certainly this was wrong. You know, you can see it. Tell, give scriptures why it's wrong. But at the time, I didn't know. Didn't have any idea. Sounded fine to me. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Bible. We're not just depending on what we know intellectually to protect us and preserve us. We're depending on the greater one inside of us. He's going to help us. He's going to take care of us. Notice in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul, by the Spirit of God's writing to this church at Corinth, and he makes a statement here. 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. Now you understand what beguile means, don't you? Deceive, trick. The serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. Now you know what subtlety is, don't you? Trickiness, craftiness. So your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Have you ever gotten revelation of truth? Was it simple? Always. 
It is. Now, I mean, you know, at the same time, you know that you haven't, you haven't probed the depths of its meaning. But when revelation comes, it's like, ah, sure. Well, that's what it says. Why didn't you see it before? I don't know about you, but I, I don't know how many times this happened to me. Hear something for the umpteenth time. Read it for the, the, the you know, 35th time. And that time you read it and you see it. And you go, well, uh, uh, that's what it says. Why didn't you see that before? You've looked at that how many times? So simple. Just want to kick yourself and say, dummy, why didn't you see that? Because when revelation comes, it's light. You ever, think, you ever thought, thought about it? See, th there's more than just a symbolic meaning when, it's, when he talks about light. He said the entrance of his word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Uh, when the light shines on something, you can see and it's clear what it is. When you're in the dark, I mean, if you'd never been in this room before, and we just pushed you in the door and shut the door and it was real dark and you couldn't see. I mean, you might trip over chairs, trip over speakers. You, you, know, you might run in that microphone and wonder, what in the world is that? Now, it might be hard for you to imagine, but if you'd never been in here, you didn't know what was in here. You'd run into this and you think, ah, what is that? Man, it feels scratchy on the top. Oh, and it's got a tail. Oh, Lord, what is that? Really? Things like that could happen. You might walk up here and feel this piano because I'm talking about pitch dark. Can't see anything. And you think, it's cold. It's smooth. Yeah, maybe it's a casket. It's got a lid on it. Oh, God, what is it? It's cold in there. You wouldn't have any idea. <laughs> but if we came in and turned on the light then you look at it and go ah, it's a piano right simple listen to me carefully the more complicated and confusing and complex something is to you that just simply means the more darkness you're in the less light you have the more light you have the plainer it is, the simpler it is. Something's complicated to you and confusing, you just simply don't have much light on it. You need more light, because in the light, it's very plain and simple. Now, he mentions how that the devil, through his subtlety, deluded, beguiled, deceived Eve at the garden. And uh, somebody said, what about Adam? Adam wasn't deceived. Timothy says so. Now, he did sin, which makes his sin all the worse. You understand? But Adam wasn't fooled by it. He knew what was going on. Eve was fooled. She was tricked. Which doesn't relieve her, relieve her of her responsibility either. Because she, she knew she was disobeying. She knew that much. But she, she believed the devil. She was deceived. And how did that happen? You remember the story. God told them, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Because if you do, the day you do, you'll die. And the devil said to Eve, he said, you won't really die. Now, what is that? 
That's a lie. <laughs> huh? That's a lie. I mean, just a, like we said down south, a bald face lie. Do you know what? I, I, there's nothing he mixed in with it. I mean, he just said, you won't die. God said you die. Nah, nah, you won't. Now, see, when at that point, you've got to make a, a, a decision who you believe. Because both of those can't be right. You see, so many times people try to act confused about things, but when you have the light of the Word, it's just real simple. Well, is it God's will for you to be healed or not? You see, well, it's kind of confusing, you know. You just never know. Sometimes it's sometimes. No, if you have light, it's real simple. Yeah. Answer is yes, it's God's will. Yeah. yeah, but what about? No, what about? It's His will. It is God's perfect. No matter what happens or doesn't happen in this one or that one's life, the fact remains, it is God's perfect will for all of his people to be healed. Now, not, all, not everybody receives and enjoys his perfect will, but that doesn't change his perfect will. It's God's will for everybody to be saved. Is that right? The Bible said he's not willing that any should perish. But that doesn't mean everybody's born again. doesn't mean everybody's going to be. Because human beings have something to do with it. But you see, when you have light of the Word, the confusion leaves. Well, I wonder if it's God's will. It is God's will. I wonder if God wants me to prosper. Maybe he's teaching me something with this poverty. Maybe God knows that if I had money, I'd backslide. <laughs> well, you know, I won't even get into that. <laughs> but if I really thought that I was that way, I'd see how quickly I could change. Huh? Sometimes people say, well, I believe God's teaching me something with this sickness. Well, it, you know, I don't believe that. But if I did, I think I'd see how quick I could learn and, uh, and get through with it. Huh? Some people, bless the hearts, you know, they say that. And it's been going on for years. And you ask them, well, what have you learned? And they look at you with a blank look. They haven't learned anything. That's not right. I said, that's not right. It's not God's perfect will. It doesn't please him. Why do bad things happen? Because sin, because there's a devil in the world, because people have free will and they make wrong choices. Wages of sin is death. There's a curse in the earth. There's reasons. None of them have to do with God's perfect will and pleasing Him. When, God, when, when God's perfect will is reestablished in this earth, there will be nothing that will hurt, nor harm, nor destroy. There will be no crying, no pain, no death. Glory to God. And that won't be long. It won't be long. We can make it till then. Glory to God. He's helped us. He's given us His Spirit. Amen. We can make it. Get the job done. You know, we have a glorious future, don't we? Glorious. Aren't you so glad that you're not deluded and deceived like many people that don't even believe there's a God? Don't even believe in salvation? Don't even believe in heaven or hell? They think we're simpletons. They think we're weak and superstitious. And they're the ones that are blind. Thank God. 
Except for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here today. You'd be out somewhere scoffing at tongue talkers like us. And so continue to pray and reach out to others so that they can see too. Because there'll be a lot of people that'll come in. A lot of people before the Lord winds this thing up. Amen. A lot of people. A lot of people. And if you share the truth with somebody and they just ignore you and make fun of you, you know, don't let that dissuade you. Just say, next. <laughs> Tell somebody else. You keep telling somebody, they'll believe. And if they believe, it'll work for them. Amen. No, it works when people believe. <laughs> but just like the devil de deceived Eve, he's always trying to deceive human beings ever since. Now, there are a couple of main things that will make you susceptible to deception. Now, there's several things, but I want to give you a couple of major things that will make you susceptible, easy to be deceived. We don't want that, right? We want to be protected from deception. Well, in... Uh, Let's see, I have so many scriptures here. Go to Romans 16 and also find uh, Obadiah. Everybody say Obadiah. Obadiah. I, didn't sp I wasn't speaking in tongues. That's a book in the Bible. <laughs> kind of sounds like tongues, doesn't it? Obadiah, Zechariah, Malachi, Shandai Malachi. I said, oh, you shouldn't say that, Brother Keith. Why not? Sometimes people get too hung up. They get too tense. <laughs> oh, my. Romans 16. Romans 16 and Obadiah. Now, that may be back there where your pages stick together. I don't know. Everybody say Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is just one chapter, and it's sandwiched between Amos and Jonah. Amos and Jonah, it's right in between those two. Just one chapter. Have you found Romans? Most of you can find Romans, can't you? <laughs> All right, what are y'all smiling about? Romans 16, verse 17. Romans 16, 17. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. You know, there's some people you ought not hang around. That's right. What kind of people? People that are divisive. People that like to argue and fuss. People that like to debate. Somebody said, Well, I kind of like to debate myself. Well, we want to avoid you then. I mean, that's what the Bible said, didn't it? Come on, look at the, what it say. Mark them. Now, that doesn't mean spray paint them or something. It just means make a note. Notice them. Right? Notice them. And then do what? Avoid them. So if somebody says, well, I, it seems like you've been avoiding me. <laughs> well, are you divisive? 
You like to fuss and argue? Now, see, we're talking about fighting, but fight what? The good fight of faith, and your fight is directed against the lies of the devil and his wiles and his devices, not against your brother and sister. Some people, I think, just read that first word, fight. And they got stirred up and ran out and started something with somebody. But no, don't fight your brother and sister. <laughs> no. Now, you know, it's easy for us to, to, to talk about these things and, and, and think, yeah, people shouldn't do that. But you know, a lot of times the same people that'll sit and, and think people shouldn't do that, then they go right out and do it. You have to watch about thinking, you know, yeah, they need to hear this. And I wish brother so-and-so was here. He sure needs to hear this. And sister so-and-so, and reverend so-and-so, he needs to hear this. Yeah, but who's here? You're here, right? I'm here. The Lord knew who would be here this afternoon. Is that right? And so who's, you think the Lord's talking to somebody that's not here? <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to us. Is that right? <laughs> so if you've had an improper desire and you got kicks out of fussing and fighting about scriptures, for instance, don't argue with people about uh, it being God's will to heal them. If they don't believe it, and they don't want to hear it, don't bother them. You mean that, Brother Keith? Yeah, yeah. Don't try to push the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speaking with tongues and the gifts of the Spirit down somebody. If they don't like, they don't want to hear it, they're not open to it, don't bother them about it. If you read this, you know, Proverbs carefully, there are several different references there that will tell you that if somebody, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, and there are several different verses that, that give you some of the same thoughts, that unless somebody has a capacity to hear it, you're wasting your time talking to them. And now I've wasted a lot of time. I know from experience. And as I begin to grow a little bit, the Lord helped me to see some of those things. And, you know, a lot of times people's, well, sometimes people's motive is right. They just want to help people. A lot of times people's motive is wrong. They want to prove I'm right. We're right. You're wrong. Now, see, you're not even operating with the Spirit of God when your motive is that. The Holy Ghost can't even work with you and help you on that. You're just on your own. And see, that's why people, they're just in the flesh, and they get further and further in the flesh until they're yelling and screaming at one another. Hell, the Bible said this. Well, the verse said this. Well, bless God, we're right and you're wrong. No, we're right and you're wrong. You think the Holy Ghost is involved in that? He's not even in the same room with them. So to speak. <laughs> Did you hear me? Some meetings that some churches have, the Holy Ghost ain't even around it. You know... All the debating, fussing, and arguing, and fighting. A person of maturity would just get up and leave. Wouldn't they? I wouldn't even come to begin with. Moving right along. Mark those folk. Avoid them. 
Verse 18, For they that are such serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They're out for anything that'll make them look good, that'll put them on top, and that'll make them money. Did you hear me? Satisfy their desires. And now notice this, how they do it. And by good words. Now that's not good in the truest sense. Uh, one translation says this, by smooth talk. And fair speeches. The NIV says, by smooth talk and flattery. By smooth talk and flattery, they what? Deceive the hearts of the simple, or the NIV says, naive. Are there any smooth talkers around? Are there any flatterers around? Now, you know, we need to distinguish and discern between a genuine compliment and flattery. Compliments are good. Did you hear me? Guys, listen to me. Most guys uh, need to play catch up on their compliments. Giving them out, I'm talking about. So most guys don't compliment particularly uh, their wives. Or, you understand? Their moms, the, the, the ladies in their life. You understand what I'm saying? They, they don't compliment people enough. I don't know something about uh, some kind of false concept that men have that to be masculine you don't compliment. You just kind of grunt. <laughs> well, how do you like this? Hmm. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I think we could do better, fellas. We don't believe in evolution. Is that right? <laughs> we don't communicate in cavemen grunts. <laughs> and, not, and not just with guys, ladies too. <laughs> listen, listen, listen to me. I don't know how I get off on all these things. But, you know, I had, I had a lady one time come to me. Oh, she was upset. Oh, she's crying. She said, do you know how long it's been since my husband's given me a flower or anything like that? Oh, she was disturbed. And, he, you know, he probably should have done better in those areas. <laughs> he probably should have. But you know what I asked her? I said, when's the last time you gave him one? She looked at me in amazement. You know, a spiritual person is a person who walks in love. Is that right? Love is not always thinking about what you ought to do for me. Love gives. Is that right? You could save yourself all kind of torment and problems if you would just quit thinking at all about what people owe me or ought to do from... Well, the least they could do was have called me or said thank you or they could have sent a note. 
Well, I would imagine you could have done some things in situations in your life. And I guarantee you, if you judge, see, that's judging. And if you judge like that, the Bible says you're guilty of the same thing. And if you judge like that, you will be judged. There'll be somebody down the line that'll be talking about you like that. Because you won't have been graced enough to realize it and do what you should have done. Or they can just have a bad attitude, either one. Y'all are quiet again. <laughs> Thinking, I guess. Well, so I mean, how'd you get how'd you get off on all that? Well, we're talking about fighting, aren't we? Yeah. Anybody ever had any fights about things like that? <laughs> we're saying that's not the kind of fighting we need to be doing. You do understand that a lot of times people are too worn out to fight the enemy because they're fighting each other so much. And that's exactly what the enemy is planning on doing. You know, this is particularly true when it comes to husbands and wives. Husbands and wives should enjoy the power of agreement as much or more than anybody should. You know? And yet... So many times the enemies got them at each other's throat. You know, the Bible talks about over in 1 Peter, the third chapter, it talks about that the, uh, the wives should submit to and respect their husband, and the husband should honor the wife and, and treat her properly, etc., etc. And he went on to say, lest your prayers be hindered. See, in other words, if those things are not right there, your prayers are going to be hindered. It's just absolutely the truth. And you might think I've digressed, but I'm talking about healing. And I'm talking about being able to fight the good fight of faith. I know one time a lady uh, came to me, and this has happened in several different ways, but this was just a real classical example of what I'm talking about. She, she met me. Actually, uh, it wasn't in a service. I, after a service, and she had a child, a little infant, very ill, very sick. The child had fever and had been crying. You could tell the child hadn't been sleeping and getting rest. And she was upset and distraught like any mother naturally would be. And she, she, oh, please, Brother Keith, pray for my child. Lay hands on my child. I want my child to get relief and, and be healed. And, and so I, I just reached over to lay my hand on the child and started to pray. The Lord checked me, just like that. And instantly I knew something in my heart. And I just took my hand off the child. I said, have you and your husband been having a lot of trouble at home? She started to cry. She said, oh, yeah, you know, terrible problems. I said, you're going to have to get that changed. I said, see, that you got, you got a bad atmosphere in that home all that animosity all that bitterness you see all those hard words that's affecting that child it's affecting that baby it's opening the door for some things and you know for the child's sake y'all need to reconcile your problems did you hear me see a lot of times people don't they don't want to look at those things they want to pretend that that hasn't got anything to do with anything but it does i said it does you know, I, I don't mean once or twice or five or ten times, but many, many times we've had to help husbands and wives get their marriage straightened out before we could get one of them healed. One of them that was, you know, serious problems. I, I've seen people, it's, it's very sad, it's very sad, but I've seen people that didn't want to be healed because of their marriage situation. It, to them, it was a way out. They want to die. Now, they wouldn't just come right out and tell you that, but they won't fight. Did you hear me? They won't fight it. It's just like, well, I can't help it. And inwardly, they're kind of saying, I'm getting out of this. 
I mean, you know, you can have some hellish situations in marriages. Did you hear me? But friend, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how long it's been that way. God can change things. If people would just do what he tells them to do and give him a chance, it can change so much that you, you wouldn't even recognize that person. You wouldn't even recognize your relationship. I could, I could tell you about situations of couples that if I could have, you know, if you could have seen them in their situation a few years ago, you'd have thought, oh man, there's no, there's no hope for that relationship. They might as well just divorce and forget it. There's nothing to work with. There's nothing to salvage. And if you saw them today, you'd think, boy, what an example of a fine Christian marriage. <laughs> Is God God or what? I mean, can he do it? He can do it. But you got see, not only do you have to fight and resist the enemy in the area of sickness and physical attack, you got to fight him in the areas he would be attacking you in your relationships. You got to resist that. Now, see, I don't know if you've caught some of these things we're saying, but see, how, how, for one thing, how uh, would that woman that came to me crying because her husband haven't hasn't given her a flower? How could she fight the enemy's attack on their relationship? Anybody know? That's right. But how could she keep herself from getting in that situation? Not yield to those thoughts. Can you see that? See what happened? The enemy caught her unguarded and unprotected, slipped all that selfish, self-piteous thinking in on her, and she took it and meditated on it until she's ready to write him off. And the truth is, you know, far as I could tell in the situation, the man hadn't messed up that bad. He was a little negligent, should have been a little more attentive. And I, I don't, I'm not just trying to be prejudiced. I mean, I've seen situations where I felt like kicking the man. I thought, you dummy, get a clue. <laughs> well, I don't know what's wrong. But you understand what I'm saying? But then also you have other cases where the guy, you know, he's not really doing that bad. The woman just watched too many soap operas. (laughs) 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 Did you hear me? Get to watching somebody on the show and think, oh, now why ain't my husband like so-and-so? Did you see what he did? Oh, man, he just... Oh, he's attentive to his woman. <laughs> Let me tell you, that guy you're watching on the screen, he's acting. <laughs> That's not the way he is. If you had to live with him for a little while, you might pay double to get your husband back. You know, as as people look at the, up at the silver screen and they think, oh, that's the way I want us to be. Those people that you're looking at are not that way. Everybody say acting. acting. What's acting mean? Acting. Pretend. Is that right? Pretend. And a lot of people get deceived. Instead of dealing with reality. They try to impose fantasy, not realize that they got, they got a pretty good thing. 
And if they'd just work on it, it could become much better. Amen? I understand human beings are human beings. It's easy to get your eyes off on somebody else and think, ooh, ah, oh, they're so wonderful. Well, you don't know them. Is that right? Anybody can be wonderful half a mile away. Never met them. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But I tell you this, people are people. And every one of them's got flesh. And every one of them's got selfishness to deal with. Did you understand? My, my. But don't be deceived by smooth talk and flattery and lies and fantasies and deception. Keep your nose in here. Keep reading God's thoughts and it'll keep jerking you back to reality. Amen. Keep your face toward the Lord and pray and seek Him and He'll keep causing you to see things as they really are. Not the way the enemy will try to dupe you into thinking they are. You know the devil will lie to you about your condition physically. Oh, he'll make you out to be a hundred times worse than what it is. And I mean, he'll have you dead and buried. When, when all you need is, you know, something for an infection. Did you hear me? Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll have you out of the, off the scene when all you need is a few days recuperation. But see, the thing is, he knows if he can get you believing these things, expecting these things to happen, you're going to start going that way. Because if you believe it in your heart and say it with your mouth, it's going to start working against you, be it good or be it bad. It'll work. It'll have effect. Now, I had you turn to Obadiah. I guess I ought to go ahead and turn there since you went to the trouble of finding him. Obadiah, did you find it? Obadiah. How many got a relative named Obadiah? I want to I wanna see. <laughs> For real. Anybody, who's got relatives? Okay, great. Obadiah. Obadiah. It's a good name. It means, it means worshiper of Jehovah. It's all right, isn't it? Obadiah, just one chapter. Notice the third verse. Third verse. Notice that first phrase. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. I said I was going to give you a couple of main things that make you susceptible to deception, make you easy to be deceived. Here's one of the main ones. Pride. Now, I don't know whether you realize it, but I've already been talking about it. Now, one of the key elements of pride is selfishness. Selfness. Self-centeredness. Did you hear me? You know, pride is emphasis on the big I. Me, me, me. What I think is more important than what everybody thinks. What I want is more important and pressing than what you want. What I need takes precedence over what you need. So that's why that lady never thought about examining herself if she had done anything for her husband. Self-centeredness. 
And see, that'll make you susceptible to being deceived. Did you hear me? It'll make you susceptible. The more self-centered you are, the easier you are to deceive. I said, the more self-centered you are, the easier you are to deceive. Now, that won't make you shout, but it'll help you if you'll remember it and, and, and do something with it. Did, y'all, did you notice that he said there in Romans 16, uh, NIV said, through smooth words and flattery. But now see, uh, flattery is only going to work on you to the degree that you're self-centered. Flattery won't work on a really humble person. It just won't have any effect on them. But I'm telling you, Flattery is one of the most effective tools the enemy has. See that? You, do you understand that that's the basis of conning? That's one of the main tools of conning somebody. Butter them up. Flatter them. Talk to them. And then rip them off. That's, that's mainly how it works. Because a lot of people, you know, I was watching... You might have seen it. It was one of these, uh, uh, I forget, like one of these 24-hour, 48-hour, I'm trying to say, or, or news-type programs. And, and I, don't, I don't know if that was it or not, but, but it was one of those type things. And they had this guy that had hoodwinked all these young single women. I mean, ripped them off financially, just, just humiliated them. And, uh, they, you know, they had two or three of them was ready to marry the guy and had never seen him. Never seen him. Can you believe that? Anybody else see that besides me? See, yeah, she saw it. A couple of people, yeah. They're ready to marry this guy. I mean, got bought tickets and flew to places to marry him. I mean, they're just going, they're going to meet him and get married. Never seen him. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, the guy that they're talking about getting married didn't exist. <laughs> Did you hear me? Uh-uh. No. This other guy called him on the phone. That's how he got him deluded to that point is talking to them on the phone for hours and pouring it on. You know what I mean when I say pouring it on? Flattery. Flattery, 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 flattery. Until the point, it came to the point where their eyes are closed shut and their mouth is wide open. But why, why is flattery so effective? Pride. Self-centeredness. Selfishness and self-centeredness and, and pride. Is that right? Now, another main element, we'll work these together, pride 
Another main one is passion. Desire. You know, the, the more you want something, the harder it is for you to be objective about it. Hmm? None of you may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I said, the more you want something, the harder it is to be objective about it. I know several years ago, there was this car I found. And I wanted it. I really wanted it. And then I drove it and kept it a day or so, and then I really, really <laughs> wanted it. And here's an amazing thing. I, you know, I don't have to tell off on myself like this, but I will. They, they gave me a lousy trade-in, and after I made the deal, they jacked the price up on me. And I got it anyway. <laughs> Why? Because I wanted it. Is that right? And it cost me some money. The Lord helped me. Finally, eventually. <laughs> But you know that, uh, that desire, or you know what another word for desire is? Lust. You know what another, another word is, though? Covetousness. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Will blind you to the leadings of the Spirit. The Spirit of God can be trying to talk to you, and, and you won't hear it. You just won't listen. And the devil can, you know, if you want something, the devil can say, well, it's all right. And because you want it to be all right, so bad you think, yeah, it's all right. And you're trying to make it all right. I said, passion, desire will make you easy to deceive. You need to get your desires under control to the point you can be objective. And you, even though no matter you, how much you want it, you're able to say, nope, it's not right. Wait. It's called crucifying the flesh. Why are so many of y'all smiling? <laughs> Look this way. What does this have to do with healing? It's got everything to do with healing. The devil will come and lie to you in every area of life. He's very crafty. He's very wily. He's subtle. He'll try to trick you into believing something that's not true. And the more pride you have, the more you want something in an area, can make it easier for him to delude you and to deceive you. But if you will love the truth... More than you love what you want, more than you love what somebody thinks or your background or tradition or so-and-so's opinion. The truth will hold you and the truth will make you free. Amen. You know, over in, uh, what is it, Second Thessalonians? Turn over there. 
I'm going to close in just a minute. Second Thessalonians, second chapter. Didn't intend to go into all these things today, but I believe it's what we needed to do. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, verse nine. Second Thessalonians two nine. He's talking about the enemy, and he's also talking about the uh, what we call the antichrist. And he says, verse 9, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. How many know that everything that's supernatural is not God? Is that right? And with all what? Deceivableness. Second Thessalonians 2.10 And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Why do they perish? Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Why wouldn't people believe the truth? Why wouldn't they love the truth? Because they love what they want. Did you hear me? Yeah. They love their self. They love what they want more than they love God. And they love what He said. And you've got to love the truth more than anything you've ever thought or wanted. You've got to hold to it with every fiber of your being. And you've got to humble yourself to it. And if you... You'll be kept. You'll be protected. Amen. Oh, I don't know about you. I want to be protected. Amen. I don't want to be deceived. I want to know the truth. But you've got to love the truth. I've shared truth with people before. The word is truth, right? I've shared. They, they come to me with their problem. And, and to them it was all complicated and complex. To me it was very simple. The word says this. This is what you do. And I've shared it with them. And they looked at me and said, well, I know that says that, but. Well, now see, what am, what am I hearing here? Deception. Why? Why was the enemy able to deceive them? They didn't hold to the love of the truth. I gave them the truth and they turned it away and said, yeah, but I like this. See, a lot of times the truth is not a blessing to our flesh. <laughs> when we get the truth on something, you know, our heart's excited, but our flesh is not. You ever gotten the truth of the Word? And when you, when you saw it, your heart went, praise God, and your flesh went, oh no. <laughs> huh? But you know what will happen, see? It, it, your flesh and your mind, you're looking at the truth and you're thinking, oh man, if that's true, then I'm going to have to change this and I'm going to have to stop this and, and I'm going to have to start this. And, and if you're thinking, I don't, want, I don't want that to be true, and the devil will come immediately and he'll say, that's not true. This is true. See, what you want. Are you listening? Yes. This is, this is true. 
And a lot of people, they in their heart, they know it. They know that the word is truth. But in their mind, they reason it out and think, well, no, I don't think that's true. I think this is true. And because they wouldn't receive the love of the truth, they're deceived. They believe a lie. Lies blind and lies bind. You know, there's so many things we could say, so many things we could get into, but I, I've already said enough for today, I think. But how many are, are, are persuaded that God wants you free and He wants you healed and He wants you whole and He wants you strong? Are you persuaded of that? Can the devil lie to you and convince you otherwise? Or have you embraced that as truth? He said, lay hold of eternal life. Have you, have you embraced that and said, that's true, that's true? You know, Brother Hagin said when he was just a teenager, lying on the bed, paralyzed, deformed chest cavity, incurable blood disease, heart problems. If one thing hadn't have killed him, one of the other ones would have. Doctors, world-renowned, had given up on his case. Told him, just stay ready to die any moment. Nobody in your conditions ever lived past this age. He was right at, right at that age. But he became persuaded of some things through reading the Bible. And he said at one point, he got, he got a little revelation from Mark eleven twenty four. He said, not much, just, like, just enough light like you might see through a keyhole under the bottom of a door. Just a little bit of light. He got a glimmer of light and it gave him hope. And he said at one point he, he, he was laying in the bed and he said this out loud. Now you may not understand this, but don't throw it away. He said, if I'm laying here 50 years from now, I still believe I received my healing. And it wasn't long till he was up. And he's been up ever since. But did you see what he, what he meant by that? This is not something he was trying. This was not something he was kind of, wasn't quite sure whether he's persuaded of it or not. He just, you know, going to check it out. No, he was persuaded of it. He was convinced it wasn't God's will for him to die. He was convinced it wasn't God's will for him to be paralyzed and bed fast. He was convinced. And he was convinced that if he believed he received them, he'd have them. Yes. Amen. I said, believe you receive, or believe you take it. Do you believe that Jesus took your infirmities? He bore your sicknesses. He carried your pains. He bought and paid for your healing. You believe that? Well, then it's ours. He's given it to us. By grace, it's been provided. But what do we got to do now? We got to possess it with our faith. Just like the hand reaches out and takes something that's given to it, we've got to reach out with the hands of faith. And receive it to ourselves. There are a lot of different ways you can receive it. You can just by faith say, I believe I receive you. A lot of different ways. One way you can do it is through the laying on of hands. When the hands are laid upon you, you can reach out with your heart and say, I believe I receive. And by faith, you can literally take healing power into yourself. This is not, this is not just some theory. This is not imaginary. I, I'm, we've been doing this for years. I've seen healing power go into bodies, work, work. I've seen it dissolve tumors and growths. I've seen it work to restore organs and muscles and bones. This is reality. This is reality. 
And we don't just need to sit around and wait on God and, and hope and wish that God would do something. Do you understand? He's done something. He's provided everything. And we've got to receive. We've got to take it. Now, the enemy will lie to you. Even after you believe you receive, sometimes he'll come and say, Oh, you didn't get anything. Oh, it's not working. If he said it, it's a lie. Is that right? I know there was a particular thing I was standing for financially one time. And sometimes when it comes to finances, you've got to stand for a while. Because money is out here in this realm, you see, and it's got to come through human hands and stuff. But see, God never fails. Don't God never fails. And if somebody doesn't respond quick enough, he'll deal with somebody else. I mean, he, he will take care of you. you. You don't have to worry about that. But sometimes you've got to stand and just keep standing. And the devil started coming to me and bringing thoughts to my mind all the time. It's not working. It's not working. I mean, I just, I wouldn't even be thinking about it. And this thought just popped in my mind. It's not working. How many of the enemy can bring thoughts to your mind? It's not working. Oh, how long are you going to stay with this? Just forget it. I mean, it's been too long. It's not working. It's not working. It's, look, look at it. Does it look like it's working? It's not working. You got off on the wrong foot on this anyway. I mean, you don't, are you sure that you heard right from God about this? Are you sure that's what that scripture means? No, no, no. It's not working. And finally, thank God the Holy Ghost. Everybody say Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost ministered to my heart. I don't mean I heard a voice now, but just inside me. He communicated with me. I knew some things. And this is, the, I would say it like this, but I didn't hear anything. But it's, it's, it's like the Spirit of God said to me. If it's not working, why is he bothering you about it? You know, really, why would he even need to pester me about it if, it's, if it wasn't working? If it wasn't working, then it's not bothering him. And with the, by the way, he was bothering me and in, in increasing his intensity of bothering me. I, I was made to see that that was a sure indication that it must be working. Right? And so I immediately and promptly asked him about it. I said, well, if it's not working, why are you bothering me? And that made me just get all the more firmly entrenched. And I went around singing, it's working. It's working. It's working. Amen. It's working. So if the devil can lie to you and deceive you, he can rob from you. He can rob from you. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.